This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Block. Where? I can't tell you where. You're supposed to follow my movements. Well, then slow down. Mother rolls his eyes. You can't tell an enemy soldier to slow down. I grin at his exasperation, but my smile is short-lived as the dull edge of his practice sword swipes under my knees. I slam onto the dusty prairie with a back-popping thud, my blade flying from my hands and vanishing into the thigh-high grass nearby. You're listening to Bookmark with me, Umar Pagan and Pagan, Pagan, and this is Authored, a brand new show in which I have these conversations with writers that are built around themes. This season, I'm speaking to them about their firsts, their first literary loves, their first characters, about the first time they found out they were about to be published. Throwing my spinning circular blade of death, my chakram. Predicting an opponent's close-range moves while a sword slashes through my vision has never been a strength of mine. The rays of the sun prickle my skin as I stare up into the blue sky, wincing at a particularly sharp stone under my back. This is the fourth time in the last 20 minutes that I've ended up on the ground, watching stalks of prairie grass billow around my head. My lungs heave. Uh, hello, my name is Sarah Rapp. I am the author of the Young Adult Fantasy Trilogy, Snow Like Ashes. Uh, book one came out about two years ago, and the third and final book comes out in uh, less than a month now, actually, less than a week. Um, so yeah, it's been an exciting ride. So Sarah, for the benefit of our listeners, if you could explain, in a nutshell, what the trilogy is about. Yes, uh, the trilogy is about a 16-year-old girl named Mira. She's one of the last surviving refugees of the Kingdom of Winter, and she's trying to help the other refugees uh, free their enslaved people. Let's kick things off with your own reading history, I suppose. Do you remember the first piece of what was probably not called young adult fiction back then, but still, the first piece of young adult equivalent that you read? Um, oh, goodness, the first piece of young adult equivalent. Well, I was as a teenager, I was really obsessed with the uh, Dear America series. Um, they were, I don't know if they're still around even, um, they were basically um, diary-type books that uh, various authors wrote uh, from the point of view of women throughout the history of America. So we have, like, um, a girl who was on the Titanic and then, like, a pilgrim and various people throughout America's history. So I really, really loved those. So super into history. So reading those was always, <laughs> I still have a bunch of them somewhere. I don't know if they'd be classified as YA now, but I was really, really into them as a teenager. I don't think I've ever come across the Dear America series. I need to look that up. Yeah, they were amazing. I don't even know if they're still around, but I was really, really into them. And do you remember the first piece of literature that kind of inspired you to want to write? Yeah, again, along the history lines, I was really into the American Girl dolls. There were dolls that each had like their own series of storybooks behind them so you could get the doll and like kind of play along with um, the various stories that they'd go through. And I really loved the one that was called Felicity. If she was, Her stories were set during the Revolutionary War. So I had the doll and I had all her books and I read them so, so much. And all of my early childhood writings were set in the Revolutionary War. And I probably knew way too much about that war for an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old. Yeah, I was really, really obsessed with that. And for some reason, I was really into history as a kid. And there are similar lines. I've only read the first book of your trilogy. And there are similar lines and similar tropes that run through Snow Like Ashes. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's kind of hard to get 
those early childhood books that that rub so much out of your head, especially when you're a writer of a thing like those books will always be kind of sneak their way into my own writing one way or another. Actually, the next series I'm working on is a colonial inspired, so that one's more directly applied to the, the era that I love so much of the Revolutionary War. So yeah, they definitely always have some kind of inspiration, even if I'm not aware of it happening. The interesting thing about a lot of the new young adult fantasy fiction books that I've read is, in typical fashion, a lot of comparisons are often drawn to Game of Thrones without necessarily as much sex and violence. And have you found as an author, is that helpful or is that a hindrance? Um, I think it's helpful in terms of classifying books. I think that's kind of the biggest struggle with uh, marketing books is getting people to understand what type of book it is in a very quick, easy, like soundbite type thing. So saying a book is like Game of Thrones, it really makes people go, oh, okay, it's a fantasy. Even if it's not necessarily like a blood and guts and violence gore kind of fantasy, they know, okay, it's a fantasy. Again, I know a lot of descriptions for books will say it's Game of Thrones meets whatever other That's right. It's yeah. So it's a good just foundation for like, this book is definitely this kind of fantasy. So people know instantly going in that what they are getting, um, that they're not getting a sci-fi, that they're not getting, you know, some kind of action thriller or something. Um, I find it beneficial for the most part. And what is your opinion on the recent spate of young adult novels and their popularity? Over the last over the last decade, I would think that we've seen this tremendous influx, this tremendous growth in young adult fiction, and also most of them written by women. Yeah, it's been an amazing couple of years just watching this part of the industry grow so much. Um, and I'm really, really excited to be a part of it and get to know some of those authors uh, personally. I think the, from my point of view, it seems like the reason that so many people seem to be gravitating towards these books is they kind of, everyone has that, like, relates to that time period in their lives when, you know, you're a teenager and the world's kind of open to you and kind of anything is possible. So I feel like that's, that's at least what I try to go into my books with that mentality of, like, the world is your oyster kind of thing where anything can happen from here on out. Um, I think a lot of people, like of any age group, can relate to that, that feeling of possibility. It's interesting, though, because in fantasy fiction writing like yours, that concept of hope and possibility runs a lot easier than in a lot of the dystopian YA fiction that's out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's interesting seeing that play out in different genres and in different worlds, because there are definitely certain uh, young adult books that kind of take that idea and either like trap it or put it in some, some interesting situation where it's not quite as easily understandable as it would be in like a contemporary or a fantasy setting. That's part of what makes it so interesting is seeing it in all these different lights and seeing how the characters play out with it. And it kind of makes it so everybody can relate to it on some level. So I think there are some people, there are a lot of people who feel you know trapped in certain duties or trapped in certain ways of life. So I think having all those different options kind of shows people like there are still ways of having possibilities and having hope even in these really, really dark, dire circumstances. Okay, so we know about your past with history and historical fiction. What about fantasy fiction? What about the inspirations of Snow Like Ashes? I grew up reading a lot of Dragonlance, so much Dragonlance. Mm. <laughs> um, and that was really my introduction to fantasy fiction. And then as I grew a little older, it was Robert Jordan and Wheel of Time, that mm -hmm. that unending series, you know, the, the the precursor to Game of Thrones. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what was yours? What was your, what were your first 
encounters with fantasy fiction? Um, so the first fantasy series that I ever got my hands on was by an author called Sharon Shin. Um, it's the Twelve Houses series, and I still have all the books, and I've reread them so many times. Uh, it's an adult fantasy series, and her world building was one of the things that first opened my eyes to what fantasy could be. Um, and I still reread her books, her old series and her new series, just kind of like salivating over how how she's able to evoke such detail and such small amounts of words and just the, the depth of her world building. So she's always been a huge inspiration for me with um, creating worlds and creating cultures and creating the characters who live in those worlds and cultures. So I, I always sing her praises whenever people ask me that question because I adore her. She's fantastic. Um, but my husband is actually super obsessed with the Wheel of Time series, so we have all those books. And he's been trying to get me to read them forever. Um, and when the last one came out, uh, he was like, oh, you need to catch up, you need to read all of them. Like, there's no way I could read 11 books and catch up to you in this time period. But yeah, he was super into the Wheel of Time series. So, yeah, I've, I've read, like, the first one or two of those as well. They are excellent. I mean... Yeah, yeah, they're amazing. But they feel like they just go on forever. And <laughs> yeah. then Robert Jordan had to up and die. I know, right? It was terrible. It was horrible. But 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 no, I mean, speaking of world building, because that's an incredibly important element in fantasy fiction, in science fiction, mm-hmm. in in dystopian fiction, more so than in than in regular fiction, because, you know, when you when you're set on the planet Earth in the current century, in the current era, you have a lot of history to draw upon. You have a lot of visual cues that are all around you. So it doesn't mm-hmm. force the reader to stretch his imagination too much, or suspend too much disbelief. Mm-hmm. When it comes to writing your fantasy fiction, how much of that suspension of disbelief do you hope for? And how much do you target? What are, you, what are your expectations of the reader? Yeah, that's, that's, how, that's actually one of the things I usually struggle with when it comes to editing, um, is telling too much versus not telling enough, or telling one thing enough, but leaving out another thing that I didn't realize I need to describe. That's what my editor usually has me um, go back through and explain certain details that in my head make sense, but that I didn't impart into the, the manuscript as well as I thought I should. Um, but this is really the struggle of any fantasy is figuring out how to word things in relation to an entirely different world, but still kind of related to our world, but they're not connected. And it's, it's kind of a fun balance of creating these worlds that are removed, but still somehow inspired by our world. Because everything in fantasy is somehow inspired by our world. There's just no way of getting around it because it has to be based in something. So yeah, this is always actually working on my next series right now. And that's one of the big things to the edits that I have to work on is figuring out how to explain these new concepts in a way that makes sense. But that isn't just like coming out and saying like, this is like this in our world. But finding ways of getting that across in more subtle, subtle ways, which is definitely an ongoing struggle of mine. Is that easier or harder to do? with a trilogy because you have you have a lot more time and space to play with but at the same time you need people to stay along for the ride i actually think it's a lot easier with the trilogy especially with like by the time you get to the last book the world's already pretty much set and people already have an idea of where they are and what's going on so you don't have to necessarily re-explain everything every time the struggle that i'm running into with this new series is it's the first book so i have to build this whole new thing from scratch. So it's just starting everybody on the blank slate. And that's what's difficult is getting kind of explaining everything, but not over explaining so people don't get fatigued by it. And the nice thing about was writing the, the last book in the, like Ashes series, Frostlight Night, was that 
all the world building was done so I could just kind of go in and play around with all the things that I'd made. I didn't have to worry about like, like did they understand this? Is this going to make sense? Like they've already had two books of being in this world. So it was kind of already established. I narrow my eyes and try to swallow the longing that rushes at me. Sir left with Greer, Hen, and Dendera on a mission to spring, while the rest of us stayed behind. Mother, the future king, who gets to go on the more dangerous missions because he's been trained since birth in the art of fighting. Allison, Sir's wife, who has never shown the slightest skill in fighting. Finn, one other able-bodied soldier, Sir's rule. Mother always has to have a capable fighter to back him up. And me, the perpetually in-training orphan girl, who, despite six years of sparring practice... What's the first piece of great advice that you got before you started writing your first book? First piece of advice that I got... Um, or, or good advice. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of the same piece of advice that I still give out to people. Um, it was from... I'm going to sound really weird. It was from the movie Meet the Robinsons, <laughs> a Disney cartoon. No way! Um, yeah, so at the end of the movie, there's a quote by Walt Disney. Um, basically, it says, keep moving forward. And that's the whole theme of the, the movie is keep moving forward. You know, the, the kid fails over and over and over again and kind of gets to this point of, like, giving up. But, you know, keep moving forward. And that's how I've always viewed writing and publishing is that the only difference between a published author and an unpublished author is persistence. Just the people who kept moving forward and kept trying and kept writing and editing and redoing the work and sending it out and trying to get published. Um, those are the ones who succeeded. So I just kind of went in with that mindset even when it got hard. And it took a long time. I and mean, it definitely did not happen overnight. So having that as my mantra was kind of very, very necessary and what kept me going and got me to where my final book comes out <laughs> next week. And it's been a crazy, crazy ride. So I definitely owe a lot to that that movie. It sounds really strange to owe so much to a Disney movie, but it's pretty important. Talk to me then about the first time that you discovered that you were about to be published. Oh, gosh. Um, I remember I got the call from my agent. So I knew that um, Smell Like Ashes was out on submission. So my agent had sent it out to various editors. And I knew that there was some interest from HarperCollins. Um, and that was in oh, in January of 2013, I believe. So it was kind of appropriate because it was winter where, where I lived and... Uh, so it was snowing all the time, and when I got the call from my agent, it was, like, snowing outside, so it was very appropriate for the Snow Like Ashes book. So I got the call from my agent, and I was sitting on the couch with my husband, and after I got the phone, I just started sobbing, 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 because it had been such a long time trying to get published. That was the third book that an agent had taken out to editors, and after, oh gosh, it's been, like, four, three or four years of that process of sending out editors and waiting and waiting, waiting, waiting. No, like ashes, it all happened in like a month of we sent it out and wow. got interest and it sold. Yeah. So when it's right, it just kind of happened. But yeah, it was it was definitely a long time coming with it. So yeah, it was very serendipitous too, because uh Snow Like Ashes, I'd actually written a draft of it when I was much younger, um, in my preteen. And it was a totally different book back then, but the characters in the world were generally the same. Um so I kind of see it was like this coming full circle type thing that it was the first book that I ever really wrote to completion. It's also the first book that I ended up getting published after coming back to it years and years later. Um, so, yeah, I was just crying and crying and crying <laughs> for a long time after that because it was very, like, this release of, like, ah, oh, it happened, it happened. I can't believe it happened. 
And did you always know that it was going to be a trilogy? Uh, yeah, I'd always planned for it to be a trilogy. And when we sold it, thankfully, they bought all three books. So I didn't have that like uncertainty of, oh, God, I have to wrap this up, or maybe I don't wrap it up. Um, yeah, it's always been a trilogy in my head. I've always had the ending kind of mapped out where I wanted it to be. Um, so hopefully everyone likes it. <laughs> I've kind of been writing towards this one specific ending for the whole time. Uh, so hopefully people won't get too angry. Hey, tell me about the first character you wrote for this book all those years ago in your preteens. What was that? Who was that? Uh, it's actually, it was Mira, the same main character that um, is in Snug Ashes now. Uh, she's actually been pretty much unchanged from that first original version of herself. Um, I think that's why I came back to the book so many years later is because she was such a, a wish fulfillment for me at the time of writing as a teenager. Because she was this like, strong, stubborn, stood up for what she believed in, very vocal and loyal uh, teenager person. And I was not at all like that. I was very reserved and introverted and quiet and did not like to ruffle feathers or anything. But she was writing her was always this kind of like, this is who I could be. So coming back to her um, years later when I was in college, I just kind of felt very natural and very like these are still she still had pieces of her that I wanted to be and hoped that I by that time had emulated. So yeah, writing her just always kind of felt like a part of me, and so it was always very natural going back into her voice and into her world. And I suppose a lot of writers go there for their first books. Yeah, yeah, definitely. especially when you're a teenager or preteen, you kind of write either who you are or who you want to be or just pieces of yourself. And is there any temptation to write outside of the young adult genre? Um, maybe. I wouldn't ever discount it completely. Um, I think there's definitely a lot of things you can do with other genres that not enough you can't do with YA, but that have a little more freedom to do in other genres. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> For now, I'm in YA, though. My next series is YA as well. And what's the next series about? Uh, the next series is a young adult pirate fantasy. All right. Well, no, I can I can totally get behind a young adult pirate fantasy. Right, pirates, yeah. <laughs> there isn't enough of that out there. There really isn't. There's only a few that I've seen. I know um, Heidi Healing has a, a duology that just came out. The Girl from Everywhere was the first one that came out this year, and that's like that that's super pirate. So I got really behind that one. It's like, oh, pirates! There needs to be more pirates. That was Sarah Rash. You can find her Snow Like Ashes trilogy at all good bookstores. You've been listening to Authored. This is Bookmark BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.